Hello, friends. I want to say welcome to Vernonia Church and our online teaching time. My name is Sam. I'm the pastor here at Vernonia Church. It's my privilege to share with you as we go through these teachings that we're going through in our in our uh, in-person worship services. And I just want to welcome you. I'm so glad that you're here. In just a few moments, we're going to continue the series we began a few weeks ago where we've been talking about when God is gracious. And in just a few moments, I'm going to share with you a teaching about how when God is gracious, God offers forgiveness. And it's going to be a great day. Hey, before we do anything, I want to pray for you that God will bring you to a place where you can know his forgiveness, that God will bring you to a place where more and more you can experience his graciousness. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, I just want to pray for all my friends who are joining me online right now. I pray that you will bless each and every one of them. I pray that you will bring them together with just the right word, with just the right verse, with just the right message that you have for for each of them today. God, I pray that you will bring us to a place where we can really experience and know your forgiveness in our lives. And God, I pray that you will just pour out your graciousness on each of us. And God, I, I pray that today you will draw us to that forgiveness. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said together, amen. Well, like I said, I want to dive in and, and I want to talk about this idea of when God forgives. But before we do, I want to invite you to a garden. I want you to imagine the most beautiful, the most amazing garden you've ever seen. Maybe you've gone on a garden tour somewhere. Maybe you went uh, and you saw this beautiful garden. And maybe you didn't. I'd just like to encourage you, just imagine walking through the most amazing garden. Maybe you love flowers and in that garden are a lot of flowers. Maybe you'll uh, bend over and you'll, 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 you'll take in the fragrance of a, of a tulip or or take in the fragrance of of a flower as you're in that garden. Maybe the fragrance is overwhelming because there's just so many of those flowers. Maybe it's a vegetable garden and you're walking through and, and there's cherry tomatoes and you could pick them and eat them. And there's strawberries you could pick and eat. There's, uh, there's an apple on an apple tree or grapes on a grapevine. And you just sort of sample as you walk through this amazing garden. And what I want to do today is I'm encouraging you to think of a garden is I want you to think along the lines of that our lives, they're like a spiritual garden that God is planting. And God wants to put you in his amazing garden so that you can bear the fruit of his forgiveness. Wow. Now I have a garden. I've had a garden for years and years and years, and five years ago, my garden was beautiful. I loved walking through that garden. I loved working in that garden, and I really enjoyed that garden. In fact, uh, years ago, I, I used to record sermons in that garden occasionally because it was just a, a great backdrop to sit and do these recordings. But uh, 
but I had this idea. I wanted to tear apart the garden and rebuild. Uh, I didn't like the direction of all the beds in there, so I tore it apart with the intention of rebuilding it with higher beds. I didn't have to bend over so far to get down to, and I had tore it apart. And what happened was it was a big garden, so it got overwhelming, it, and, and it wasn't relaxing to go out there anymore. It was stressful, and I sort of lost a little steam. And so it's been sitting for, my man, almost four years, without doing anything but growing weeds and looking ugly and sometimes our spiritual lives they they can turn out that way too whether it's from neglect or whether it's from just stopping stop putting effort in whether it's a whether it's just a a time of of dryness a time of emptiness a time where our spiritual garden is full of weeds maybe those weeds are sin and brokenness whatever it is and and it's not the garden that god intends for you in your life but the good news is this that god offers forgiveness and that god wants to bring you to a place where you can once again or where you can for the first time start becoming that garden he wants to develop out of you and in you every year spring comes every year there's a chance to restart in that garden my intention this year is to get out into that garden and get it up and running my new beds are built i'm ready and every year there's a there's a fresh start And you know what? Every day, God gives us a fresh start, a fresh chance to experience his forgiveness. Every day, he offers us the chance to to bring life, to let him bring life again into our spiritual garden, into the spiritual garden of our life. And today, we're going to talk about the forgiveness and that, that, that chance to start over. But before we do, I just want to sort of catch you up with where we're at. Uh, we're in the book of Luke. Uh, we, we've been working through the story of this man named John the Baptist, or who we would come to know him as John the Baptist. We began this series a few weeks ago where we took a look at the angel Gabriel showing up to a, a priest named Zechariah as he was serving in the temple. Gabriel promised him that, that he was going to have a son, even though he was barren and in his old age. He told him that this son, they would name him John. He told him that John was going to be a prophet who would prepare the way for the Lord. And we talked about how when that angel showed up, that was God breaking silence. He was breaking 400 years of silence. He was bringing a message into the lives of people of this world. He's bringing a message into our life that I want to break the silence with you. And then we, then we moved forward, jumped forward to where John was born. We saw as Zechariah sang over his son. And we, we saw as God used him to prophesy about what his son would be and who his son would be and, and, and what his son would preach. And we talked about how God is incredibly gracious to us by sending us John and by sending us Jesus, who John was preparing the way for. Well, we're going to fast forward again today. We're going to jump into the beginning of John's ministry. And John is going to John's going to introduce 
sorry, Luke, the historian, is going to introduce us to John by by telling us, first off, when John started his ministry. He's going to tell us that John started his ministry in the the 15th year of the rule of Tiberius, the emperor of Rome. And he'll get a little more specific. He'll tell us Pontius Pilate was the governor, that Herod Antipas was the ruler over Galilee uh, under the Roman emperor, and Annas and Caiaphas were serving as high priests. And, And Luke's going to bring us to the beginning of John's ministry by reminding us uh, what was happening in the day, the political, uh, the political events of the day. He'll tell us that, that uh, these real people were real rulers at a real time where God really did something, where a message from God really comes to John. Uh, What Luke was doing, Luke, you see, as he wrote the book of Luke, was a historian, and he was interviewing people. He was gathering all the material together to write the book of Luke, and as he does it, he does what a historian will do. He, He tells us that these were real events in real history. You know, what he does is similar to if I said to you that in the first year of George Bush's presidency, George W. Bush, George Pataki was the governor of New York and Rudolph Giuliani was the mayor of New York City. I personally was at Carl D. Coleman's fly shop and I was buying a pair of wading boots to go fishing in. And when I was watching on the television this catastrophic event that happened and changed the world at the time. You could probably do the math and figure out that I was talking about 9-11 in 2001 when two jets crashed into the Twin Towers. And what I would do there is I was just saying, hey, this is a real event that happened when these things were going on. And that's what Luke is doing as he introduces us in Luke chapter 3 to the story of John beginning his ministry. And as Luke writes his gospel, he's writing it so that, well, he tells us why. In Luke chapter 1 verse 4, he says, so that you can be certain of the truths you were taught. So you can be certain that what I'm writing, I'm not just making up. You know, the story of John, which then moves into the story of Jesus, neither one of them are a once a upon a time type story. It's not a myth. It's not a it's not a made up story. It's a story grounded in history. And most of Luke's contemporary readers would have realized, oh yeah, I remember that. I remember that year. I remember hearing about that happening. And Luke just says, here's what happened. Luke tells us that God enters our world in real circumstance and during real times. And you know what? Even from reading those few beginning passages of Luke 3, you can get the idea that God is trying to say to you and me, hey, I, I have come so that I can really enter into your real world. And uh, I, I really want to enter into your real 
circumstances. Well, what happened in that 15th year of the emperor Tiberius? Well, here's what happened in Luke chapter 3, verse 2. It says, at this time, a message came from God, or a message from God came to John, son of Zechariah, who was living in the wilderness. And God interjects himself at that time. God interjects himself into real life. And what does he do? He brings a message of forgiveness, a message that says, Prepare the way for Jesus by coming to God and being forgiven. Now, later, the message will change as we, as Jesus says, prepare the way for me in your life and be forgiven. And so we want to open our Bibles and open our Bible apps to Luke chapter 3. And I want to invite you to come with me as we look at this message that John preaches. It's a message about forgiveness. And I want to come to it and talk about when God forgives in his graciousness, what do we do? Because as John preaches, people will ask, well, what do I do? And John will answer that question. And so I want to just share with you some, some things that John says. This is what you do when God forgives. Number one is this. The first way John will tell us when God is gracious and when God forgives that we respond to it is, I will repent of my sins. Now, John's a prophet from God. John has, God has come to him with a message to share with the world, and the message that he shares is one of forgiveness. John was a prophet just like the prophets of the Old Testament. John was a prophet who God sent his spirit into, who God was going to speak through, who God has a message for the world to share. In fact, God even told us he was going to send us John as a prophet through the prophet Isaiah, way back in the Old Testament, Luke will tell us that Isaiah was talking about John. In Luke chapter 3, verses 4 to 6, he says this, Isaiah, the prophet, had spoken of John when he said, He's a voice shouting in the wilderness, Prepare the way for the Lord's coming. Clear the road for him. Valleys will be filled, and mountains and hills will be made level. And I think what he's getting at there is that people will come to the valleys for the forgiveness. The humble will be lifted up into the valleys and the proud. Well, they'll have to come down. The mountains, the hills will be made level. The proud will have to humble themselves and, and come to the valley. And then he continues and he says, the curves will be straightened and the roads be made smooth. The crooked must become straight, and then all people will see the salvation of God. God is so gracious. He gets us the chance to see his salvation, to know his forgiveness. And so God gave John a message, and John took that message out, and he began preaching it. In Luke chapter 3, verse 3, we were told what that message was. It says, Then John went from place to place on both sides of the Jordan River, preaching that people should be baptized to show that they had repented of their sins and turned to God to be forgiven. And so it begins with repentance from my sins. 
God wants us to repent from our sins. He wants us to be free from the results of our sins by forgiving us. He wants to wipe them out, and he wants us to want him to do it. He wants us to turn away from our sin and to turn to him. The word repent, by the way, literally means to turn around. And what he wants is to know whether or not we want forgiveness. And he says, if you turn away from your sin and sinful life and you turn to me, I'll forgive you. I'll take a garden that's full of weeds and turn it into the most beautiful garden you've ever seen. When I truly repent, I change my mind and I turn in a new direction. I I leave a life of sin and I pursue a, a life with God. And God tells us that to be forgiven, I need to tell him that I want forgiveness by repentance. It doesn't mean, by the way, that I'll instantly be perfect, that I'm going to all of a sudden do everything right. No, that's not what it means. In fact, the idea of repentance for you and me is that we... We start a process that never ends. I mean, we'll be continuing to repent until we see Jesus and we're made perfect completely in heaven. But we have to begin somewhere. And God says, I'll know you want to begin when you turn to me. You turn away from walking your own walk to walking my walk. You you turn away from those things in your life that are pulling you away from me. You turn away from them and you turn to me. And here's John's message. You you might write this down, make a note in your phone or, or write it down on a pad that Jesus accepts sinners who repent. We can't just finish that sentence with Jesus except sinners, that he accepts sinners who repent. John says, prepare your, prepare yourselves for Jesus. Prepare your hearts for Jesus. Seek his forgiveness and repent. In Luke chapter 5, 32, Jesus will tell us that his message was the same as John's message John came to prepare the way for him, and Jesus just took what he was saying and and made it even greater, made it even more important. He he says in Luke chapter 5, verse 32, I have not come to call the righteous or people who are self-righteous. But then he says this, I have come to call sinners to repentance. Wow. I've come to call sinners to repentance. After his death, after his burial, after his resurrection, we're told that Jesus sat down with his apostles. He started teaching them from the scriptures, took them to the Old Testament. He's teaching them about the gospel, about about his mission, about what he has done. And it says this in Luke chapter 24, 46 to 47. He said, It is written long ago that the Messiah would suffer and die and raise from the dead on the third day. It's also written that his message would be proclaimed in the authority of his name to all nations, beginning in Jerusalem. And here's the message, that there is forgiveness of sins for all who repent. We live in a world today that 
would love to just talk about how God will just forgive you and you don't have to do anything. God will just forgive you. Don't worry about turning to God. Don't worry about turning away from sin. Don't worry about making any change in your life. Jesus just accepts sinners. But they're leaving out an important part, a part that Jesus said was 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 so important to his message that he includes it in forgiveness. He says <laughs> that there is forgiveness of sins for all who repent. What's repentance look like? Well, sometimes repentance will look like saying, man, I'm just tired of living my own way. Uh, I keep living my own way and I keep getting what I've always got. And I, wanna, I want what God has to offer. I want God's forgiveness on my life. I want heaven. I, I want him in my life. Uh, the Apostle Paul will describe what repentance looks like in 2 Corinthians chapter 7. In 2 Corinthians chapter 7, the Apostle Paul's writing a letter to the church in Corinth. It's, it's either his second or his third, some think, letter that he's written to them. And he wrote in one of his previous letters, or in his previous letter, which was pretty harsh, he wrote some harsh things. He said, hey, you have some things you need to repent of. You have some things you need to change. He talked about specific things in their lives that they were doing wrong. They weren't living for God. They were living for themselves. They were being selfish. They were being uh, sexually promiscuous. They were, they were doing all kinds of things crazy. And Paul laid into them in one of his letters. And he said, you need to repent. Well, he was kind of nervous about how they were going to receive that letter. And he thought that by telling them to repent, they were just going to get mad, that they were going to leave the church, that they were going to, that they were going to not repent and just get more rebellious. But he was happy because what he found out was they had received his letter and they made some changes. In 2 Corinthians 7, 10 to 11, Paul describes what they did. And this is a perfect description of repentance. He says, hey, godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. Worldly sorrow, that brings death. But you have godly sorrow. He says, see what this godly sorrow has produced in you? What earnestness, what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what alarm, what longing, what concern and readiness to see justice done. At every point, you have proved yourselves to be innocent of this matter. He said, I, I, I was worried my message would upset you and bring you sorrow. Uh, and it did upset you and bring you sorrow, but you had sorrow different than the way the world has sorrow. When the world has sorrow, sorrow they get mad, they get upset, and they get stiff-necked, and they get stubborn. But you didn't get mad at the message. Instead, what you did, instead of walking away, getting mad, what you did is you showed godly sorrow. And he lists some things that godly sorrow does. Godly repentance does. Well, it has an eagerness. 
We become eager to do what God wants rather than what we want. We get this earnestness. We get an urgency that that we realize, I, I need to change my life and I need to turn away from the sin in my life. We get an indignation. <laughs> there is something to be said for a healthy level of indignation, not necessarily towards other people and their problems or their brokenness or their sin, but, but an indignation for our own, a, a sense of disgust where we say, well, kind of like Dave Ramsey says, you get sick and tired of being sick and tired. And then he says that it brings alarm. We realize that, that there's a real issue with our sin. There's a, there's a, a, a real problem. That if I continue to live this way, there's a real, uh, well, there's a real consequence and I need to change. I need to come to God and and repent and let him forgive me. And then there's a longing to live right. There's a longing to do the right thing. There's a longing to live in goodness rather than in sinfulness. There's a, a longing to do better than I've been doing. And we have to start somewhere. So John says, repent and, and turn to God and he will forgive you. When God offers forgiveness, the first way that I respond to it is to just say, God, I'm going to turn to you and, and take it. Well, John will continue in his message, and I'll, I want to share this one. Again, these these points today, they're not, they're not, uh, they're simple. They're not complex. They're simple points, but but they have a complex meaning to them. Number two, when God offers me forgiveness, I, I give myself to be baptized. Baptism, it, it's, it's not necessarily just something I do. It's something that's usually done to me. The Bible word for baptize means to be immersed. It, it means to be dunked. When I'm baptized, I'm baptized into water. Uh, it, it's something that, 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 that I let somebody drop me down into water and bring me up. And John says that when you're preparing yourself for Jesus and his forgiveness, he says, be baptized, showing that you're repenting. Be baptized. And one of the reasons for baptism that the Bible will teach us is that it is a step of repentance. It's a step of saying, God, I'm turning your way. When you're baptized, you're showing to God, you're showing him you're turning to him. And when you're baptized, you're showing others that you're turning to him. And sometimes we complicate this baptism. We can complicate it. Different churches have different theologies surrounding baptism. We, uh, Different churches practice it in different ways. And here at Vernonia Church, we simply teach people to do what the word means and to get baptized, to be dunked in water. And, and some churches get all worked up and they, they get worried. Well, isn't that something that you're doing to thinking that you're earning salvation? And, and let me just try to put it this way. Imagine, if you will... Uh, doing a lot of imagining today. Imagine, if you will, I offer you my truck for free. Now, some of you would think of that as a downgrade because my truck has about 293,000 miles on it and it's getting old. And uh, 
let's just imagine too that the truck is brand new. I offer you that truck for free and I offer you an opportunity to get it. I tell you that if you come to my house at 11 o'clock in the afternoon on this day, let's say Saturday, and I will give you my truck. All you have to do is take the keys at 11 o'clock. All you have to do is uh, sign a paper and I give you the, the paperwork and we're good to go. It's your truck. Now, if you show up at 11, I might give you 20 minutes or 30 minutes in a window there. But if you show up at 11, I'll know that you want the truck. If you don't show up, I'll know you don't. Now, nobody, given that offer, would think, well, boy, I'm earning that truck by going over there and getting it. Uh, some people might hum and haw. Well, I don't know if I like that 11 o'clock thing. Uh, you know, I I can't make it then. Maybe I'll come at 1 or 2 or 3 and I'll just do it my own way. And if you do that, I'm going to say, hey, I told you 11 to maybe 11.30 and that was it. You know, I know you don't want it if you don't come. You don't get it if you don't come. Uh, when I said uh, that was the deal that I offered. And they might get upset and say, well, I don't know, you know, I... I decided to do it my own way. What if I go to someone else's house? You know, what if I this? What if I that? And I said, no, the deal was show up at 11. You know, we do that with baptism. I don't know exactly why God said get dunked in water. And that's part of of the way that you tell me you want what I'm offering. Uh, It's silly to think that anybody would think they're earning salvation by doing that. It's simply God saying, this is how I'm going to know you want what I have to give. You repent and turn to me and you get baptized showing me that you're repenting and turning to me. In Luke chapter 3, verse 3, we're told that John went into all the country preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. John's baptism, it tells us in Scripture, was for the forgiveness of sins. There's nothing magical about the water. It was simply that people were saying in their hearts, they're preparing themselves to receive the Messiah when he is revealed. Uh, They're preparing themselves and God will give them forgiveness because they're trusting in God's forgiveness and God's Messiah to come. John's baptism was a preparation for Jesus. Now, John's baptism was different than our baptism. In fact, when John's followers began to follow Jesus, they would be baptized in Jesus' baptism. We're told that in the Bible as we read the story of the spread of the church. And when people thought John himself might be the Messiah, they asked John, about whether he was the Messiah or not. And John answered their question saying this, Hey, I baptize you with water, but someone is coming soon who's greater than I am. He's so much greater that I'm not even worthy to be his slave, to untie his sandals. He will baptize you not only with water, but with the Holy Spirit and with fire. 
And like all things compared to John, Jesus will always outshine him. (laughs) There would be similarities, but Jesus would always do things greater. Jesus' baptism was similar in that baptism was still a picture of repentance, still a picture of forgiveness, still a picture of receiving what God has to give. Now, I don't know all the reasons God said to be baptized, but I think one of them is that it's a picture of being cleansed. And one of the things Jesus does for us when we believe in him is he cleanses us of our sin. I think there's another picture that goes with it. There's a picture of being buried to dying to ourselves and being buried in a watery grave and then coming up out of that water to live a new life with God. It's a picture of a death, a burial, and a resurrection. And just like Jesus died, was buried, and rose from the dead, he promises us that when we join him through our faith in him, that we too will raise, be raised to live a new life for him. And he says that when you're baptized, you go through that process of joining him and being raised with him. Jesus' baptism would be a baptism of fire. Now, I do think there was a specific thing he was referring to when he said that, and we're not going to get into that in today's teaching. I think there was a specific thing he was talking about when he that we read about in Acts chapter 1 and 2. And, but here's something that baptism by fire brings to mind, judgment. Jesus, well, his baptism would be a baptism not only of forgiveness, but judgment. Because what will happen when we come to Jesus is that he judges our sins. He takes our sin to the cross. He judges them. He pays for them. And he judges us forgiven from them. And he judges those sins paid for. And so there's something a little bit more that happens when Jesus is baptized or when when Jesus is baptism, when we, we, we join Jesus in baptism and his baptism would be a baptism, an immersion of the Holy Spirit. Jesus baptism would involve the Holy Spirit. When we're baptized uh, into Christ, we're told that the Holy Spirit is a a part of that process. We're told that the Holy Spirit is there. God's very own Spirit comes to live in us. Uh, And John, when he was preaching, he was filled with the Spirit from before his birth. The angel told us that he would be that. And he was uniquely filled with the Holy Spirit. But the thing about all of us who, who connect with Jesus through our belief, through repentance, through baptism, is that we all, each and every one of us, receive God's Spirit in us. In Acts chapter 2, verse 38, it says, Peter was telling people who asked, what do I do? What do I do when I believe? And Peter said this, repent and be baptized. Same as John. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Wow. You know, John's baptism, it it was preparation 
Jesus' baptism. It was a connection. We're not preparing for Jesus to come. We're receiving what Jesus who came has to give. There were some similarities and there were some differences. And when you and I, when we're baptized, we're, we're being baptized. Almost as this first act of repentance. Saying, God, I am turning to you. That's what baptism is about. But you know what? It doesn't end with us just beginning the process of repentance. It doesn't end with us just saying, God, I'm going to turn to you and, and get dunked in water. But it will, from there, take us to a picture of a garden. And here's what, what, where I'm going with that. Because when God is gracious and when God forgives, number three, I let God change my direction. I let God change the direction of my life. That repentance, it continues. That repentance, it... It should bring real change and transformation into my life. You know, February is right around the corner. And uh, if you're thinking about gardening at all... February is often a good time to begin thinking about it. February is a good time to go through seed books. And February is a good time to think about starting your starts if you're going to be starting a garden. And you know what? When you start a garden, often people who are gardening for the first time will ask, what do I grow? What do I want? In my garden, it can be overwhelming. There's so many things you could do. And often my answer is a simple answer. Well, what do you want the end result to be? What do you like to eat? What do you want to see? What flowers do you want blooming in there? What, you know, what food do you want to eat out of it? What fruit do you want? Start there. You start with the fruit. Now I say fruit as in uh, fruit of your labor type fruit. I mean, it might be a veggie, might be a flower, any of that could be the fruit. You know what a gardener doesn't want? A gardener doesn't want a whole lot of roots and seeds in the ground with no fruit. A gardener doesn't want a big, bushy, green tomato plant that has no tomatoes. It uh, doesn't want an apple tree that, that doesn't bear apples, doesn't want a, a strawberry plant that never has strawberries what do you want in your garden? That's where you start. And when God looks at you and me and he says, I want to plant you in my garden, he looks at your life and he says, I want to plant you so that you can bear fruit. He plants us. He plants the seed of forgiveness in us. He plants the, uh, the beginning story of a life with God when we first repent and we get baptized. He, he, he provides us the Son, S-O-N, to forgive us and die on a cross for us. He provides us the Holy Spirit to bring life into us, a wellspring of life into us. He, he provides us with all we need to grow. He gives us His Word to guide us and to teach us and to feed us. He does all that so that we can become fruit-bearing plants in his spiritual garden. 
And John knew that there would be people that were going to come to him to be baptized who wanted the forgiveness but didn't want any change. They wanted the forgiveness. They wanted the the promise of salvation, the promise of heaven. Uh, They wanted all that, but they didn't want to change. And John has a really harsh message for them. One thing you'll learn about John as you go through his teaching and his life story is that John was, well, he was a firecracker. Uh, John really said it straight, just like Jesus did. That's one of the things that made John controversial in his day. But John saw some people coming who didn't want any change, didn't want God to change anything in their life. They just wanted the benefits of what he had to offer. And John says this in in Luke chapter 3, verse 7 to 10, we're told, John said to the crowds coming out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers who warned you to flee the coming wrath, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. The axe is already at the root of the tree, and every tree that doesn't produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. What? I mean, you talk about uh, you talk about a tough message. You talk about uh, <laughs> church growth strategy. Often, preaching like John isn't the way that uh, most church growth strategists will tell you to do it. But John, he just confronted sin head on. And he said, hey, you're not going to fool God and you're not going to fool anybody by just coming and let it, telling us you're repenting, getting baptized, but with no intention of actually following God. Who warned you? It was God. And you need to listen and you need to actually produce fruit of repentance produce fruit of change in your life john's message well it it was it was the same as jesus message did you know that in fact jesus would one time tell a story about how we are a lot like vines in god's garden grapevines and jesus said this in john chapter 15 too that the Father cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit. He gave the very same warning. He said we need to produce fruit of repentance in our life. And John's message, it, it actually hit the mark. These people heard, they were cut to the heart by it, and they said, oh, we better do something with it. And they asked an important question, uh, an important question that will show up whenever people are cut to the heart by what God has to say. What do we do then? What do we do? And John tells them. He begins by saying, hey, learn to be gracious because God is gracious. In Luke chapter 3, verse 11, John answers them, saying, The man with two tunics should share with the one who has none, and the one with food should do the same. In other words, begin being generous with others, because God is generous with you. And then he tells them to start being honest with themselves and honest with God. And in Luke chapter 3, verse 12, he says this, Tax collectors, he kind of points out some people in the crowd. 
you tax collectors. They also came to be baptized. They, they said, teacher, what do we do? And he says, don't collect any more taxes than you're required to. Well, that was that was a pretty confrontational sentence. You see, tax collectors, they were they were considered the worst of the worst in that culture in that day. Rome had conquered Israel, had oppressed Israel, and part of their oppression was to tax all the people. And to add insult to injury, they chose people in Israel who were Jewish to be the ones to collect the taxes. Those people who collected the taxes were seen as traitors. And maybe because they were angry or bitter about being rejected by the people around them, and also because they were greedy and wanted money, they collected more than they needed to, and so they were seen as thieves and traitors. And, and being a tax collector became somewhat synonymous with being a sinner. And they said, what do we do? We want to be baptized. We want to repent. What do we do? And John says, you stop being a thief. <laughs> Those of you who are stealing, stop stealing. And he just calls them out on what they're doing. Start being honest and only collect what Rome is telling you to collect. Start being honest with yourself about where you're at. Sometimes that's hard to do. Now you could have chose, as he picked people out of the crowd and talked to them, he could have chose anything. That's a part of our life. That's a picture of brokenness or sinfulness. Those of you who are lustful, stop lusting. Those of you who are uh, sleeping around, stop sleeping around. Those of you, and you could almost picture John in a church pointing at people saying, you need to do this, you need to do that. And he calls us to bear fruit of repentance. And then he calls out a, another group and he tells them to start being content because God has given them so much. In Luke chapter 3 verse 14 it says, Then some soldiers asked him, What should we do? And he replied, Don't extort money, you bunch of thieving crooks. <laughs> he doesn't say that last part, but he says, Don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. Wow. Called them right out. And you could see where the temptation would be. You're a Roman soldier. You have the power of Rome, the authority of Rome. You could use that power and authority and backing to extort people, to bribe people, to make false accusations against people, to basically be a criminal. And we see that today. We see politicians act like they're above the law. We see uh, police officers sometimes abuse their position. But really, we could pick on everybody else. But let's be honest. There are times where we're just not content either. We fall into scams and get-rich-quick schemes. And we fill casinos. And, and, you know, we're just looking for a way to get a quick buck because we're not content with what God has given us. 
And John says, learn to be content. And we, John could have chose all kinds of other examples, but if we kind of think about it, a lot of the people that John talked to and a lot of the ideas that he said that we're told about here could cover a lot of our sins. A lot of us, well, we're in struggles where we are and our, our sins are a part of our life because we're not gracious. We don't understand how gracious God's been with us because we're not honest with ourselves and we're not being honest with others or we're not content. The grass is always greener somewhere else. And Jesus could have spoke about every sin in our life, whether it's lying or stealing or cheating or adultery, homosexuality, promiscuity, all those things, divisiveness, slander, drug and alcohol addiction, all of them. He could say to us, listen, you have these things in your life that I have gone to a cross to die for, to free you from. Start producing fruit of repentance now that I've forgiven you. Start showing that you are a tree planted in my garden, that you are a tree planted who I have forgiven, and you are continuing to turn my way in your life. Produce fruit of repentance. And you might say, well, are you saying that if I don't repent in my life, I can't be forgiven? Are you saying that if I have certain sins in my life, I can't be forgiven? And I just want to say to you that there is no sin that God can't forgive or won't forgive. unless we don't repent. God forgives sinners who repent. Jesus came to call sinners to repent. John told us to be baptized in a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of our sins. We need to repent. And when we come to God and turn from a sinful life and we receive his forgiveness and his grace, that should start something in us, a process where we continually repent. Again, you're not going to be perfect. I'm not perfect. I have to continue to repent almost every day, sometimes multiple times a day. All of us need to be in this process of repentance, but we're bearing fruit of repentance. And sometimes people will respond to John's message with anger, frustration. They'll respond to John's message by lashing out. In fact, Luke will continue to tell us, as John preached, when his preaching came to an end. It came to an end when he told somebody they needed to repent and they put a stop to John's voice. At least they tried to, because we're still hearing his voice thousands of years later. But it says in Luke chapter 3, that uh, verse 19, that John is going to tell someone important to repent. By the way, the call to repentance has nothing to do with how powerful you are. Remember, the hills will be brought low and, the, and, and, and we'll all be in the valley together. We all need to humble ourselves. 
no matter how powerful, no matter how important, no matter how rich, no matter how wealthy, we're not exempt from needing to repent and turn to God. And the message is still a message for all of us, regardless of how important you are. I could stand in front of a president and say, you need to repent. I could stand in front of a king and say, you need to repent. I could stand in front of a billionaire and say, you need to repent. And they might look down at me because I'm not what they are. But the message is from God, not from me. And John knew that. And so John, in Luke chapter 3, verse 19, it tells us, John rebuked Herod, the Tetrarch, because of Herodias, his brother's wife, and all the other evil things that he had done. John called him out and said, this is sin. Now, what we know about Herod is that Herod had an affair with his brother's wife. That's sin. And then Herod married his brother's wife. That's sin on top of sin. And then it says Herod added this to them all. He locked John up in prison. What did Herod do about his sin? What did he do when God sent him a message that said you need to repent? He got mad and he added sin on top of his sin. He got mad and he lashed out. He threw John in jail. That's, by the way, the sorrow of the world that leads to death. When we're confronted with sin, when we're confronted with our need for repentance, we get angry. That's the sorrow of the world. When we're confronted with our sin, we leave a church. When we're confronted with our sin, we go to another one. When we're confronted with our sin, we leave that one and go to the next one. When we're confronted with our sin, we blame everybody else for the problem. When we're confronted with our sin, we, we might not throw a preacher in jail, but man, we'll talk bad about him. And we might tell a story that's not the real story because really what's happening behind the scenes is our sin. When we're confronted with our sin, we find faults with God's word, with God's people. We find faults with everybody else but ourselves. Maybe we feel bad when we do it. That's the sorrow of the world. Maybe we don't. That's the sorrow that leads to death. That's Herod's way. He just added sin to sin. But God has a better plan for each and every one of us. He has a plan for us. What he really wants the church to be is a garden. A garden bearing fruit of repentance. You know what he wants the church to be? What the church is supposed to be? He wants it to be a garden full of people who are repenting and continuing to repent. He wants the church to be full of broken people who have repented of their brokenness. He wants there to be in the church people who went from being abusive fathers to people who are now humble and learned how to stay their hands. He wants the church to be, to have people who went from murderers and haters to people who learned to love, love life and love other people's lives. He wants the church to be full of people who are liars, who learned to value the truth and, and to tell the truth because God is truth. He wants the church to be filled with people who were at one time maybe racist and they learned 
that God created all people and that God values the, the variety of people that he made and all of us are accountable to God and that he loves all of us. He died on a cross for all people. He wants the church to be filled with people who are recovering alcoholics and recovering addicts who, who are maybe porn addicts. He, he wants them to come and to, to celebrate their first week, their first month, their first year of sobriety. He, he wants the church to be filled with people who were one-time homosexuals who learned how to be content with the bodies God gave them, who learned how to be men and women of God that he created them to be. He wants people who were adulterers and adulteresses to, to be in the church as people who have learned the importance of purity and integrity and commitment. He wants foul-mouthed people in the church who are learning and have learned how to use their mouths to glorify God rather than spill out filth. He wants bitter people in the church to produce fruit of learning how to soften their hearts and love others. He wants unforgiving people to bear the fruit of forgiveness because God has forgiven them. You see what I'm saying is this, that the church is full of broken people and God receives and accepts us all when we repent. And once he receives us all and forgives us all, the response we give is we continue to bear the fruit of repentance. There's a warning on one side. Every branch in me that doesn't bear fruit will be cut off. But there's a blessing on the other if we bear fruit of repentance, refreshing comes. We can see our lives go from a garden that's a mess full of weeds and brokenness to the garden we imagine, a beautiful garden, a place full of fruit, a lush garden. A place of refreshment. In, in Acts chapter 3, verse 19 to 20, it says this. Now repent of your sins and turn to God, so that your sins might be wiped away. Don't you want that? Repent and turn to God. And he says when you do that, in verse 20, then times of refreshment will come from the presence of the Lord. He will send you Jesus, your Messiah. When God offers his forgiveness, he's graciously offering us the chance to have forgiveness. He invites us to repent and turn and come to him and be forgiven. And he says, then go and learn how to be the garden that I'm planting, a church filled with people producing fruit. I want to be a part of a church like that. And I want to be a person who's producing fruit of repentance in my life. And I just want to invite you to join me in praying that God will help us produce fruit of repentance in me. That he will produce a time of refreshment in you and me. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, uh, we come before you, and God, we just 
We want your forgiveness. And God, we hear John's message, a message of repentance, a message of a baptism that that just says, God, I repent. And after that baptism, a message about a life that's lived differently and changed. I pray, God, that you will bring about change in my life and in the lives of those around us. Change that speaks so loudly that it shouts over any reputation we might have had, any mistakes we might have made, any sinful things that have been a part of our life. I pray that our repentance will produce fruit and speak louder than our old reputation. God, I pray that you will work in each of us. Sometimes repenting can be hard. That's why you give us the Holy Spirit to help us, to give us strength to live out the life you want us to live. And so we invite the Holy Spirit to give us the strength we need so that we can live a repentant life. God, I know there's there's people who are joining me here that are struggling with sin. They know you've called them to a life of goodness, but they've been living, not being honest with themselves or with the people around them, not being honest with you. God, I know I know there's people with struggle and they're not content. They're just looking for money, money, and more money, and they're not looking at you. They're using people. They're, they're putting themselves into harm's way. God, I just pray for repentance. I pray for repentance in our church because I know our church is full of people who need to produce some fruit. And I pray for repentance in my own life because I need to repent too. And God, I just pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, I want to say thank you once again for joining me for our online teaching time. As we've been studying the life of John and the ministry of John, uh, we're going to continue this series next week. I really want to encourage you to come back and join us as we continue to talk about when God is gracious. I mean, forgiveness. He doesn't have to offer it, but he does. How gracious is God? He's incredibly gracious. Well, I want to finish up by declaring it's been a great day. On the count of three, I'm going to shout out, it's been a great day. And I want to invite you to join me in shouting out, it's been a great day. And hopefully, as you shout that out, you're thinking, because today I'm repenting. Uh, Let's shout it out. You ready? One, two, three. It's been a great day. I want to say thank you for being here today. And I'll see you next Sunday.